Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode seven of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, Travis and I discuss the hot topic of how to prevent yoga injuries. There are a ton of insights shared in this episode that will be beneficial for yogis, Pilates practitioners, fitness enthusiasts, athletes, and just about anyone with a regular movement practice. A few topics that we cover in this conversation are, how is an injury defined in the scientific literature? How are injuries classified and categorized in research on injury prevention? What are some common risk factors for injuries? The belief in the yoga world that alignment is the most important factor for yoga injuries. Whether common yoga alignment rules about joint stacking are helpful for injury prevention. The connection between strength training and yoga injury prevention. A closer look at the popular FMS or the functional movement screen and whether it's a trustworthy tool for injury prediction best practices for preventing yoga injuries in general, and lots more. If you happen to be a member on my website, jennyrawlings.com, just know that you can also actually watch the video version of this podcast as a bonus feature of your membership. So if you prefer to listen via audio, that's great. And you could just listen right here. But if you'd like to actually see Travis and I talk face to face as we have this conversation, feel free to do so over on my website. If you enjoy this episode, we'd hugely appreciate your support in subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast wherever you're listening to it. And now without further ado, here's our episode. Welcome to our episode. We are here today to talk about how to prevent yoga injuries. So this is kind of a hot topic in the yoga world, at least I feel like I see this discussed out there in the yoga world quite a bit. And so we just want to take a little time to hone in on the topic of like how to think about yoga injuries in a yoga context. Are there proactive steps that we might want to consider taking in order to prevent yoga injuries? And just some inquiries along those lines. And we happen to be super lucky because my amazing co-host for this podcast happens to be Travis Pollan, who happens to be a recognized expert uh, in the field of injury prevention, like a recognized total expert. And he's super up to date on all the scientific literature on this topic. He did graduate research on injury prevention, and he actually just recently completed uh, a masterclass for Physio Network which is a research review service for physiotherapists, aka physical therapists, on the topic of injury prevention. So we have Travis here kind of fresh off that, and he's a total resource for us. 
uh, we he'll be he'll be sharing information and insights about injury prevention in a general sense, kind of from like the athletic and sports side of things, where a lot of research has been done uh, on this topic. But then we will also take the insights that he shares and we'll make it more specific to our uh, yoga lens today. So thanks so much for being here with me today, Travis. <laughs> Thank you for that uh, really <laughs> warm introduction. Uh, expert is always a, a tough label to live up to, but I'll do what I can. I know, I know that that's how you feel, and I, I totally respect that. That's specifically why I said recognized expert. I don't know, just meaning that, that other people... So I people... don't have to call myself an expert, but exactly. other people can. And that, that's like okay. Physio Network can, and, and your PhD can, and yeah, <laughs> but you don't have to call yourself that. Uh, yes. So uh, before we dive in too much into this topic, could you just tell us a little bit about your background in this field and, and um, how, how it is that you become so knowledgeable about injury prevention? Yeah. So my, I guess it kind of goes back to my master's degree, which was in biomechanics. And so I studied amputee gait biomechanics, which doesn't really have anything to do with injury prevention in particular. Uh, but the, the skills that I acquired from a biomechanics standpoint then led me to my PhD, which was in rehabilitation sciences uh, mm -hmm. and in particular human and applied biomechanics was kind of the lens that we took. And so my dissertation work was on risk factors for injury in competitive swimmers, which is sort of like the the very early stages, if you think of a conceptual framework for injury prevention, where like preventing injuries is kind of like the last step, but before that you have to figure out what's causing them. And before that you have to figure mm -hmm. out what the injuries actually are that you're, are the problem within your, your context, whether it's sport or yoga or whatever. So again, my research was really looking at the risk factors that predispose athletes or swimmers to injury. And then just from studying that area, I, I broadened my lens to general athletic populations. And another, besides swimmers, another population that I have been interested in is athletes who are recovering from ACL injuries. So mm -hmm. ACL is anterior cruciate ligament and yep, of the knee. And that is uh, an injury that often recurs or once you have one, there's uh, an increased risk of getting another one. So that is not just injury prevention, like preventing inju ACL injuries, but also re-injury prevention, mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, of course, a, a related sub-discipline of injury prevention. For so sure. that's that's the two big areas that I've been interested in. Then within those, um, especially as it pertains to risk factors, there's a, a lot of interest in pre-participation screening, which mm -hmm. is in a sports context, can you identify risk factors ahead of time, like before an athlete gets injured and try to predict who's going to get injured and then apply your intervention to those people. So um, that's a, an area that I've really dived quite deep that's into over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk a little more in depth about, about that as we talk today. Um, I hope that we get to that. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for explaining a bit about your background. And one of my first questions for you would be just to kind of take a step back and ask if you could define 
injury for us because I I do believe it can be a bit of a complex topic, like what's an injury and with pain science and so many of us are learning more about pain science these days, we're also kind of learning that there can be a distinction between pain felt and an actual injury or tissue damage, things like that. So could you right. define injury, at least within within Yeah, your and there, there was an excellent paper and it was really more of an infographic from 2021. I will link it in the show notes, but they, mm-hmm. they differentiated between these two things. And I realized this was only a couple of months later that maybe I was guilty of conflating the two terms in my own work. Um, and I think that's, that's true. A lot of times is where I think a lot of people do that. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you're, you're doing a research study and you're wanting to know how many injuries are occurring or what the risk factors are. And you can operationally define injury for whatever, however you want to define it. And there are, there are many definitions that you can use. And this is one of the challenges when trying to synthesize research, like with systematic reviews or meta-analyses where different studies have defined injury differently. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard to put all of those studies together when you have injury, different injury definitions. So for example, um, one, the broadest definition would be any complaint, but then within those complaints, you have a subset that are seeking medical attention. Right. And so not all injury complaints actually seek medical attention from a doctor or an athletic trainer or a physical like therapist. Not, like, that's significant enough like for them to actually go to the doctor. Yes. So not every complaint gets brought to the level of a, a medical provider. So you get fewer injuries when you classify it that way. And mm-hmm. then even fewer if you're calling or if you're restricting your definition to time loss. So this is actually preventing you from participating in the activity or the sport, which mm-hmm. we know like runners, for example, um, they'll train through or they'll run, they'll continue running even if they have an injury. Um, and so if you just limit it to time loss injuries, then you're not capturing all of the potential injuries that are, that matter. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then you can go even more restrictive to severe injuries that are causing athletes to miss, uh, like a significant amount of time, whether it's 10 days or three weeks, those are coming some of the cutoffs that I've seen, but the, basically the push nowadays is to not, is to capture as much data as you can. So really Mm -hmm. all those complaints, and then you can whittle it down after the fact, and a good way to do that is through like a weekly survey um, mm-hmm. where you're at. There's one called the Oslo Sports Trauma Research Questionnaire, something or Oslo Sports Center, something like that. Um, but it's by a, a researcher named Ben Clarson. And they they ask they ask people every week, have they had an, a health problem, which is like any sort of illness or injury or complaint that's affecting their participation, their performance, uh, causing them pain. And then there's one other question, but uh, basically trying to figure out what what level of interference is this causing. And then maybe they'll also triangulate that data with data that they're getting from the medical team so that they're just capturing everything. So I forget what the point of the question. Oh, the point of the question was, (laughs) is there a difference between pain and injury? And so to summarize, you can have pain and you can have injury and you can have both. So you you Mm -hmm, can have one or the mm -hmm. other both. So you could have pain, but not have like a structural injury. 
Mm-hmm. You could have actual you could actually damage. have yeah, you could have structural damage and not have pain. Um, mm-hmm. or you could have both. So it's useful and worthwhile to get clearer on what we mean mm-hmm. by those things. And because th- there are ramifications when it comes to um, diagnosing, treating, recovering right. from pain versus injury or, or both. And if we're wanting to look at injuries and, for example, like how common they are or how big of a problem an inju- injuries are within a certain sport or activity or like within yoga itself, it just seems to make sense that, that if we have a clear definition for what we mean by injury, that, that helps us kind of get a feel for it or assess. So would you suggest that maybe a helpful, just loose, casual way that we and maybe our audience might think about injury in this context is, is some sort of complaint that... Uh, that results in, an, in the interference of their either participating in their sport or practicing yoga on the mat. Would that? Yeah. Is that not complete enough? Really? <laughs> no, I, I think that's. I think that's that. That all complaints. So yeah, yeah. It's a and and the the wording that that researcher Ben Clarson uses is a health problem. So any right. any complaint doesn't have uh, to yeah. have caused you to go seek medical attention or. Um, it just, it's interfering with your ability to practice. Right. The, considering like a health problem, that seems like extra broad, but I, it's, I feel that's like extra our broad interest... it's also including illnesses. Exactly. That's, Which that's tricky. And that that's, I find it a little problematic in the research because when they use that questionnaire mm-hmm. and they're including illness, it, it's like another can of worms. Like, like why it's a little confusing. So more like musculoskeletal injuries slash tissue damage slash pain associated with, with that, as opposed mm-hmm. to getting sick or something. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so. W- and for our purposes today in this conversation and with uh, injury prevention and yoga, we're kind of thinking musculoskeletal injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it, yoga causes colds is uh, <laughs> or if yoga, outside of my scope. Really funny. Right. That's like not really, that's not so much what we're talking about. Okay, so with kind of this general casual notion of uh, what we mean by injury when we're referring to that term today, there are there are different types of injuries, right? That maybe you could help us understand a bit more. Like there are acute injuries, there are overuse injuries, which I don't know if the correct term for that is like a chronic injury because I know there's uh, chronic gr- pain versus gradual pain. onset is a new one that's getting mm. used. There's a there's a nice paper that we can link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. We'll link all the papers we mentioned in the show notes. Yes, but, totally well. uh, by Roald Barr, it was a consensus statement from either 2021 or 2020, um, just defining it, like methods for injury surveillance. And so they give really good definitions for, for these different types of injury. But basically, you can boil it down into either acute injuries or not acute injuries. So an acute injury mm-hmm. would be like there was a specific moment where something went pop or mm-hmm. it was like, oh, I wasn't injured and now I am injured. <laughs> like an ACL it, and, tear or an yeah. ankle sprain. Yep. Yep. And there was a, a clear what we call an inciting event um, where that that moment, you can say that that's when I got injured. And mm-hmm. then and, and the, within those acute injuries, they can either occur through contact or non-contact. Uh, so contact would be like contact with another person, non-contact or, or, uh, playing equipment. So you can have contact Mm -hmm. and then different types of contact, and then you can have non-contact, 
So, so there's those types of injuries. And then there are gradual onset injuries, which we might also call overuse injuries where there's mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, I know that I'm injured, but I don't know when mm-hmm. I got injured or it was just kind of the, it came on over time. Yeah. Uh, and in a yoga context, uh, just just based on like what you know of yoga and what you know about types of injuries, would which would you say would be more? Could you even say which you think might be more common? Obviously yeah, not it, contact it's, unless it's well, maybe got it, yeah. a yoga teacher. Uh, yeah, yeah, and even then, that's not like your typical con- like a contact me- mechanism is usually usually like a high speed, high velocity mm-hmm. thing. Like mm-hmm. in the previous episode, we talked about an injury that you sustained yes. um, through from a teacher yeah. pushing me deeper into a um, seated straddle forward fold. Yeah, so that would I suppose that would be a contact injury. Contact, it's certainly it doesn't not, seem the same. Yeah, it's certainly not non-contact. But um, yeah, I, I would say that we're not seeing a lot of contact injuries mm-hmm. in the way yeah, that yeah. we see them in contact and collision sports in yoga. So that leaves us. Yes, the, there can be acute injuries. You know, I fall, did fall something. Out of a handstand. Yeah, that and but whether I, I would probably say that the overuse mechanism or gradual onset is going to be more common than those acute injuries. But I don't know the numbers off the top of right. my head. I don't know the numbers. I mean, this is all kind of just based on I think just a feeling or a sense of because I don't know of any. Well, actually, there are there are studies on on yoga injuries, but as far as like defining them between acute and overuse, it intuitively makes sense to me that yoga is kind of a, maybe more on the endurance side. If you're talking about like classifying, it's, it's kind of repetitive and people do it. Often. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Repetitive motion, I would say. Cause we're kind of repeating the same general poses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and movements. It's, it's, right. pre- it's more predictable than team sports mm-hmm. where that are very unpredictable. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So that's helpful just for us in, th- in thinking about injuries and what types of injuries we might be thinking about if we're talking about uh, the practice of yoga. For sure. And then when it comes to an injury, what co- what causes injuries? And I know that's a very broad and general question, but can you tell us a little bit more about injury causes? Yeah, so I think most of the time when you have that especially when you have that acute type of injury where either you mm-hmm. fell out of a handstand mm-hmm. or, or you were in handstand and something felt weird in your wrist or your shoulder or whatever, mm-hmm. we were quick to think, okay, the cause of the injury was the handstand. And we forget right. that there were, there were handstands before that handstand. But even beside from handstand itself, like we don't necessarily have to say that was the exact problem because there are a lot of things that happen way before that handstand that can cause or that can contribute to increased risk of injury. Mm-hmm. And so um, like that, we're basically talking about risk factors and uh, what mm-hmm. risk factors are increasing your susceptibility or predisposing you to injury um, that is then occurring in that inciting event. So that would go back to things like age. So maybe mm-hmm. if you're older, um, it, so that there, and we can separate the, the predisposing factors into things that are internal to you and your body 
and things that are external to your body or like environmental factors. So internal to you would be like age or sex or um, years experience with yoga. And then mm -hmm. external factors would be like what um, what style of yoga you're doing, um, what the, the temperature is in the, the room that you're working, that you're practicing in. Um, the yoga teacher would be an external factor, um, right, especially like in, in your case, right? Yeah, right, not, not right. only... Yeah, not only just, oh, they put their hands on you or not, but just how they're teaching the class, mm -hmm. how they're communicating. Um, yeah, what how they're... they put the poses together, what the sequence is. Yep, all external factors. And so it's important to think about those factors that are within the person and outside the person leading up to mm -hmm. this inciting, inciting event. event. And not just, oh, the hands... Oh, well, and then the other part of that is it's not just that handstand, but it's what were, what was your whole movement practice looking mm -hmm. like that day, that week, that month? Did you go into handstand without having been prepared for handstand? Right. So, or, or were you, uh, fatigued in that moment and that was contributing? So it's had not you just not like, slept well, maybe had you not been sleeping well in general? Right. So, so your, your readiness or preparedness or, you could also think about stress, like mm -hmm. um, hydration state. Oh. So there, it's more than just the handstand that when your shoulder went ouch, you want to be thinking about that really mm -hmm. big, much bigger picture as opposed to vilifying the, that pose. That actual pose. That makes so much sense. Something that you have taught quite a bit about uh, um, that I've observed and learned from you is that injury is always multifactorial. That injuries, can, they are multifactorial. Many different factors can interweave to influence whether or not someone experiences an injury. And so it's kind of easy to boil it down and look at just that one event that we want to label as the factor. But it's right. maybe if you'd slept and, better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we know that alignment in yoga is the one that people tend to mm -hmm. go really you know, just yeah. obsessed about. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, that, that is certainly a factor. Like biomechanics can certainly play a role in the mechanism of injury and predisposing to injury. But there are so, we just talked about, there are so many, and there are so, there are so many other factors and there are so many more than we just talked about yeah, that so many. you don't want to, you want to make sure that you're not just focusing on one um, which is actually nice because it can help when you start thinking about preventive measures. Okay, mm -hmm. I don't want to just put all my eggs in the alignment basket, but I can be making sure that I'm sleeping and that I'm um, my practice is mm -hmm. reasonable. Like the the amount of practice that I'm doing is reasonable. And I'm not doing too much too soon. Right. I'm not um, every single day, like volume of yoga practice and frequency. Yeah. And, and then and like what are, right. And what are my internal factors that might put me at increased risk? So I need to be more engaged in being mindful to mitigate those. Right. A hundred percent. Or um, how prepared am I to practice handstand? How much strength have I built over time? You mentioned earlier experience. So just how many how many handstands have you practiced in your life? You know, to, to yeah. um, have a sense of familiarity and control and, and there. Strength, 
I'm a little biased, but <laughs> strength is a, a very protective factor. Mm-hmm. So, so there right. are risk factors and there are protective factors. Uh, decreased Precisely. strength or low strength would be a risk factor. Increased right. strength would be a protective factor. That totally makes. So, I think this is really good. Where we're suggesting this and laying this out because it does seem that within the yoga world and in so many yoga teacher training programs that I'm familiar with that are teaching teachers and how to think about all of this, it to my strong impression is that yoga alignment and the way that we arrange our bodies and our poses is really held up and pulled out as as the one factor that contributes to injury. And if a yoga student does have uh, an injury, it's often blamed on you were uh, practicing bad alignment. It's because you did that in a non-optimal way or or your alignment was bad. But I think we just, it's just, it's important to appreciate that it's such a much bigger picture than that. And like you said, alignment can play a role. It doesn't always, but it it can, but there are so many more things that go into whether someone has an injury. And I, I feel that most yoga teacher training programs I'm familiar with just don't, they just probably don't realize, but it's just really underappreciated that the true complexity and multifactorial nature of injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so maybe we should talk more about why alignment is so heavily focused on and why maybe we don't have to worry as much about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So, so why, why are th- these yoga teacher trainings going mm-hmm. so into the weeds on that relative to injury prevention? Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. think i i think it has to do with seeing biomechanics and uh the way that like our joints and our bones are aligned in our poses just seeing that as as so important and i understand it's like if if you consider an injury being tissue damage then it makes sense that the way that the forces are moving through our tissues uh are can be affected by how we're aligning our like it just seems like maybe it's the most obvious factor and so maybe that's mm-hmm. why it gets pulled out i think that's why and just so much emphasis on i i think you're probably familiar with like uh, the idea of joint stacking within our yoga poses like it's really important to align your body so that the forces travel through the bones rather than through soft tissue so by joint stacking you ensure that that like the the forces travel in a quote safer path versus aligning in a like non-joint joint stack position. So that's often taught in yoga teacher trainings that say we're in plank pose or even hands and knees, like tabletop, something like that, that it's very important that the shoulder be vertically stacked directly over the wrist and not slightly forward or slightly back or slightly to the left or right, because then the force is traveling. If you're not joint stack, the force is traveling at these oblique angles. And the belief is that we're more vulnerable there and, and more likely to injure. What do you think about the approach of joint stacking all the time? 
Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. If you'd like to work with Travis and myself in a more direct way in your own yoga or movement practice, consider our Strength for Yoga remote group training program. Are you interested in bringing strength into your movement practice? Maybe you already strength train, but would appreciate a smart program to follow designed by people you trust so you don't have to think about what you're going to do each day. Consider joining Travis and myself and a motivated community of yogis who all value the benefits that strength training has for their yoga practice, for their body, and for their life. Strength for Yoga Remote Group Training is a monthly strength program that also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program. You can learn more and sign up on my website, JennyRawlings.com, and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode. The force is traveling. If you're not joint stuck, the force is traveling at these oblique angles. And the belief is that we're more vulnerable there and, and more likely to injure. What do you think about the approach of joint stacking all the time? <laughs> Well, so I, I, to me, it probably goes back to like the the tradition and the aesthetics of the shapes, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the the early traditions were that the, this is the way the poses were supposed to look, and so that maybe got that aesthetic goal maybe got wrapped up yes. in the oh now we're realizing that injuries are important and injury prevention is important, and so the the way that we think that the best way to go about that is through trying to practice the shapes in that very idealized manner. Mm-hmm. Like that... these straight lines, vertical lines and 90 degree angles, like just these, these kind yeah. of, um, but it, the yeah, truth ideals. is that like th- those are more aesthetic ideals than they, they necessarily are, uh, mm-hmm. targets like? for injury risk reduction just because we know like we know how different everybody's anatomy is which is going to necessitate that they look different and so actually maybe trying to fit those ideal Mm -hmm. uh targets might be you might you might be worse off yeah than doing it the way that feels right for you but uh going back to like the the joint stacking thing i think that the the part that gets lost in that and th- this is especially what I found with my research. So the, the, like, the, it's true with swimming too. There, We think that there are certain ideals that the stroke should look like. I, like I, mm-hmm. I was interested particularly in, what, in whether quote unquote errors in freestyle or front crawl stroke mechanics uh, predisposed or increased an athlete's risk of injury. Mm-hmm. And so what I found was that they didn't. Uh, but for the most part, there was, there was maybe one that did, but, um, it, it, it's surprising because counterintuitive for a lot of people. Yeah. We, we would think like, oh, if you're doing something funky with your shoulder and you're putting yourself in that strange position thousands of times over and (laughs) over in the course of a training session and over the week and over the month and over the year, like that has to matter. Right. But what the, the, the counter argument to that would be, well, these people have been doing this for exactly. 10 or 12 years um, and they are just they are, have adapted to their whatever funky positions that they're putting themselves right. in. So maybe it's more about building up to those positions than mm-hmm. it is about a right versus a wrong. 
Um, and, and I actually had a swimming coach named Charlie Kennedy. And he said that, and I think this would apply to yoga too. He said, swimming is stroke technique is like handwriting. Everybody has a different oh, style and it's like not that. like one person's is right or wrong. It just everybody, what's optimal for each person's going to be different. Um, wow. it's all still writing. Like it's all, it's you all, still it's, could recognize you, it as like, yeah, you still know that a, a down word. dog is a down dog. Cause it yeah. looks close enough to a down dog and not, uh, plank like, or i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> bow pose or whatever mm -hmm. uh, but yeah so so like it's about it's about the individual variation it's about the relative preparedness um and and i think we see that in running too uh, i'm not mm -hmm. as familiar with the running literature but there have been a lot of positions, heel striking and uh, right. pelvic alignment, pelvic drop, uh, pr foot pronation, where it just... Like people pull those out like, and they want to say that they're risk factors for injury. Yeah. But... And like, it's, 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 it's mixed. It, the, the research is so contradictory. Like some studies do show those things and some studies don't. So mm -hmm. again, it's not to say that nothing matters and you can mm -hmm. do anything that you want, but the what's especially true in yoga is that it's a body weight movement practice right exactly so meaning, um, meaning relatively low load yeah and relatively low velocity you're not mm -hmm. typically moving very quickly between poses and there there are some more faster more powerful transitions but as but a, on whole, the whole it's, it's like, a very slow and controlled and like the types yeah. of injuries that you study and like um, talked all about in your master class on injury prevention, they seem like m those injuries mostly, or I guess I guess really the acute ones, but they seem to happen from high impact, high velocity, like like these are fast movements with a lot of force involved that seem like risky. But in yoga, it's just so slow and controlled, and we don't have super heavy weights on us that we're yeah. moving around and we're not colliding with other bodies. <laughs> even even in the the sports stuff like there's a a big there has been a big push over the last few years to look at vertical drop jump uh and oh, risk yeah. of acl injury so that's a test where you step off of a plyometric box so like a, a heightened object and then you immediately go into a vertical jump and so there was some early research that found that if you had more knee valgus um during the the transition from the landing to the jump then you were more likely to sustain an acl injury and knee valgus is knee, knee valgus in. is like yeah knock knee position mm -hmm. uh internal rotation adduction and uh what's the other one pronation of the yeah i was foot. gonna say foot pronation okay yeah, yeah i feel so like it's that, three things that are those that trifecta three? i think those are yeah. the three things internal rotation adduction pronation yeah. So it anyway, come to one of us. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. So anyway, um, the, they're uh, like over the last few years, much bigger studies have been conducted analyzing mm -hmm. that vertical drop jump in a million different ways on hundreds of athletes. And they just have not found that that supposed fault like or error misalignment or, or error right. or whatever you want to call it movement dysfunction. Done, done, done. <laughs> that they just haven't found that that actually increases the risk of injury um, right. in these large scale studies. 
So, which is frustrating because on the one hand, like we thought that that was a good test that we could use to identify risk of injury. Um, and at least in the, the handball and I forget what a volleyball players, maybe that, that study looked at, um, or those studies have looked at, they just haven't found that. So mm-hmm. there, yeah, it's, there's certainly some literature that suggests if you move quote unquote suboptimally, mm-hmm. you, you have an increased risk of injury. It's hard to say whether that would be true in yoga. Like, I don't know that those I'm not familiar with those studies if they do exist, but I would be surprised if they do. If moving in, in quote, bad alignment in yoga predisposes people to injury, even though Mm -hmm. you hear that all the time and, and maybe it makes some sort of common sense on like a superficial level. But when you, I think that you asked the question of why, why, why do do yoga teacher trainings focus so much on alignment is so important for injury prevention and something that I realized also in hearing you talk just now is that I think something that's overlooked often in, in the dialogue around this is simply, uh, the adaptability of the human body and the fact that both the soft tissues of our body, but also our bones, all all of that, they adapt when loaded and they remodel in response to load in order to become stronger, to continue to withstand those loads because our body seemingly seems to just like to, it's sensing, sensing, what and how you're moving your body and then it's continually adapting to help you continue to do that. So I think it's just like if you're traditionally yoga might be taught like warrior two pose might be taught in that joint stacked manner with that front knee directly over the ankle and that's often emphasized as very important so that you don't injure the knee. But I think what we know from this like broader context and understanding about the adaptability of our tissues is if someone were to practice warrior two with their knee in a little bit but on a regular basis over time, and that's how they did warrior two for however long, you know, months or something, that you would think their tissues would just adapt to continue to withstand those loads so that that quote unquote bad alignment, it's not necessarily inherently bad. It it just seems like injury seems to be more a question of uh, how prepared are you and how adapted are you for the movement that you're doing in that one snapshot of time. So it's more Mm -hmm. about movement preparedness than it is about like one alignment being right or wrong. Yeah. So if you suddenly, without ever having done yoga, mm-hmm. go into six days a week of practice with that uh, inward caving knee in your warrior one warrior or, or warrior, warrior two. Really. Yeah. Either warrior <laughs> either one or warrior two uh, or warrior three. Um, <laughs> right. Ma- ma- maybe that's a thing, but, but also like maybe as long as you're strong, then mm-hmm. that's fine. And so that's, right, that's the something, thing, right? There's, there's this area of literature that looks at cutting mechanics. So in, in sport, that would be like where you're running linearly like ahead, and then you quickly sidestep to either like 90 degrees or 45 degrees. Um, and so there's, there's this thing that they call the performance injury trade-off where there are certain techniques that allow you to cut faster. And Mm -hmm. one of them is that knock knee position uh, of the plant leg. And so that is uh, like um, some that's favorable from an athletic standpoint, but it might also increase risk of knee injury. So how do you reconcile those two things where um, on the one hand, 
you you don't want to slow athletes down or be training them in a way that's not that's going to be counterproductive for their performance but also you want to keep athletes safe and so the the argument of the recommendation would be okay but we're just going to get athletes really strong so that they can tolerate those positions um, so that they continue to do them in the way that's going to help their performance but hopefully with a reduced risk of injury well that makes sense so that's kind of maybe that's the strategy that they've settled on is the trade-off isn't isn't as much of an issue if they simply focus on strength then they can have both like they can be safe in those transitions and their performance can be enhanced by using those cutting techniques, but because they're stronger, it's probably safer. That's yeah, that's the thinking. Can you tell us a little bit or elaborate a little bit on the connection between strengthening the body and strength training and potential injury risk reduction? Like how strengthening can result in that? Well, like at the most basic level, the injury is occurring when the biomechanical stress exceeds the tissue's capacity, right? So Mm -hmm. if you work within your tissue's current capacity, kind of at your edge from a loading standpoint or from a frequency standpoint, then you can push that. It's called the envelope of function, but you can Mm -hmm. push that envelope farther so that your ability to withstand uh, like external stress um, is higher. You can with sustain or you can you can handle more load and or mm-hmm. more frequency before you experience that tissue damage. So the idea is that through strength training, we increase the capacities of our tissues to tolerate load and produce load. Right. So through strength training, we we increase our muscles' ability to produce force. So we get stronger, like we can lift heavier weights. But at the same time, we also make our tissues more resilient in general. So like we can produce more force, but we can also withstand more force. Mm -hmm. Um, So our muscles, but also our soft connective tissues, like our ligaments and tendons and things, they can just, um, they can, their capacity to absorb load has increased. So the potentially you could think about having two people side by side in a yoga class or, or in an athletic activity, and maybe they're both doing the exact same movement at the same time. Uh, but if one of them just happens to have stronger tissues, uh, depending on how high the loads and forces are involved in that movement, but the person with the stronger tissues that have higher capacity, they're more likely to, to resist potential injury than someone who has. Yeah. And that's why, that's why it makes it hard to just look at somebody and know for sure that that person is at risk of injury because they're doing it that way. It's like, well, you don't know their training history. You don't know what else, you don't know how strong they are. You don't know what else they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Besides that, you don't That's know nice. anything. <laughs> you hardly know anything just from looking at them besides how they look. So it's it's really, uh, it's bad, for, <laughs> bad form uh, to <laughs> look at somebody and say that their form is bad. Right, and that it's going to cause them injury. Or if they keep practicing the pose that way, it will cause them injury. Because they're just looking at one, it's not like one factor, when really there are <laughs> so many factors that go into it. Exactly. It Earlier in the beginning of our, of our conversation, you mentioned uh, pre-participation screening, which <laughs> I feel like is really kind of wrapped up in, in all of this. But in like an athletic context, there are certain like tests or screens that people will be run through, like our, their movements will be tested or assessed. 
And if they're deemed to be suboptimal or like in the yoga world, we might think of that as bad alignment, something like that, then those people are considered at higher risk of, they're often considered at higher risk of injury. But mm-hmm. you, through your work, you've you've looked in depth at research on screens. Like um, one really popular one that I think I, I think quite a few people in the yoga world are familiar with is the FMS or the functional movement screen. That seems like a pretty wide, widely adopted one. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that you've looked at, at that uh, in depth. Do you has your research helped you see that these screens are valid for injury prevention purposes? So it's a, it's a can of worms because oftentimes what we'll see with those studies is an increased risk of injury. So athletes who perform poorly on some of those tests, uh, are maybe at increased risk of injury. Mm-hmm. So, so may like maybe the, the headline for the, the research study would say like athletes who performed poorly on the functional movement screen were 2.7 times more likely to get injured than athletes who performed well. And, and that, that, that performed poorly versus performed well is kind of like an arbitrary threshold right, like where, where you draw the line. Yeah, because the the scoring for most of these things is like uh, with the FMS, it's a twenty one point scale. But it, there's there's typic it's typically a what we call in statistics like a continuous data type of mm. data where mm-hmm. it, you know zero one two three four five six seven. Okay, well, what's good and what's bad? And there are statistical techniques for trying to identify that cutoff. But what so when you do get that increased risk the the thinking is okay well now we can stratify our injury prevention efforts and we'll just give the injury prevention program to the people who we deemed high risk based on on our pre participation screen and what inevitably happens it, this is like a really age old injury epidemiology problem where you have more injuries occurring in the low risk group than the high risk group, just because there are a lot of people in the low risk group. So right. um, there's more e- people, even, like sheer amount of people. Yeah. Just, you know, you have this small high risk group. Yeah. They're the, the percent or the proportion of people will be greater that who get injured in the high risk group compared to the lowest group, but you still might, the absolute number of people who get injured will likely be bigger in the low risk group, group just because there are so many people in the low risk group. So anyway, the, this favors the idea of not using risk stratification because you're going to be missing out on those people who you deemed low risk who get, who get injured. And, and so this is like the statistically, this is the difference between an association and prediction, because if you were mm-hmm. able to nearly perfectly predict with like 90% accuracy, the people who are going to get injured. Yeah. Then you could just apply the intervention to those people because you're, you're getting almost nine, you're getting ideally nine out of 10 of the people who get injured. But mm-hmm. when you are intervening on a high risk group and then all these other people are getting injured, that favors mm-hmm. what we call a more global approach. So like nowadays in the age of pandemics, um, we call, we might call this a vaccine where we're not just giving mm-hmm. the intervention to the high risk group. We're giving the intervention to everybody. It's a global or a mass prevention approach, um, because mm-hmm. we're just trying to get everybody, uh, we're tr- trying to, if you imagine like a bell shaped curve of performances on a screening test or risk, we're trying to shift everybody, uh, towards higher performance or lower risk. 
on a global level. Mm -hmm. So a global approach would just be to give everybody injury prevention um, in general, just to like help right. like protect so, everybody. So the, the, the way to think about it would be instead of trying to identify high risk individuals, just treat everyone as being high risk simply yeah. because they're in, engaging in the activity. Right. Because the activity involves some level of risk itself. So, so in summary, if you were to step back and look at something like these movement screens or something like the FMS, I know you've talked before about how you still see them as having value, but just maybe not for the purposes of predicting injury. Yeah, we just there, we are not at the point in 2022 that we're able to predict who's going to get injured from pre-participation screening. And so that tells us a few things. It tells us that we shouldn't try to, we shouldn't try to use those pre-participation screens to predict injury. Mm -hmm. um, we can use measurement of athletes for other reasons. And in a sports right. context, the, the biggest reason is what I mentioned way back at the beginning of the episode, where maybe you're able to identify athletes who currently have some minor complaints Mm -hmm. by measuring them in this moment. So instead of trying to say, predict who's going to get injured, let's just identify the people who are already uh, injured right. or in pain. That, that totally makes sense. So using like, like these screens as like constant monitoring over time or continual monitoring over time, rather than just this one snapshot one time, because we're always evolving. And as we said, our bodies are always adapting based on what we do. So one movement screen or test one time, it could be a little far removed from telling us much about someone once it's like a few months down the line, like if they were to do it yeah, again, it might come out differently. Absolutely, a few months down the line. And even some things change on like a day-to-day -day basis. Right, right. Yeah, so I feel like I've learned from you about, because I just know I personally used to hear a lot about the FMS and like it's very revered as like this tool that really helps people identify who is going to get injured. And uh, I know that it's a very structured system. And it's not used in a yoga asana or yoga class context, at least not in my experience, but in my mind, I kind of liken something like, like this movement quality assessment of the FMS or similar screens. I liken them to the way that, that alignment and movement is often talked about in the yoga world in a less structured way, but more just like if someone can embody warrior two in this, what we deem as to be a good movement quality way, then like they're safe. And if they don't, yeah, it's the, it's the prerequisite thing. So, yes. uh, if you, in the functional movement screen world, and, and maybe this is an, a misapplication, but I'm not so sure. Like they would say, if you can't do an active straight leg raise where you're lying on your back and flexing one leg, mm -hmm. um, if you can't get it to like 70 degrees of flexion, um, then you shouldn't deadlift. And it's like, well, oh, that's, like, well, that's a rule. It, it, it may, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's some people treat that as a rule and, mm -hmm. um, maybe that's not what's coming from the horse's mouth, but, uh, if you're, so you're putting these kind of arbitrary rules mm -hmm. on things and that's, that's an especially funky one because you're lying on your back assessing <laughs> right. hip mobility and then you're telling somebody that they can't deadlift. That's a totally different, it's a totally different exercise, movement, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's like, totally well, if, different. You, if you can't do a push up in the FMS test, then okay, maybe you shouldn't be doing push ups. 
But also that's that's right. not really the case either. And I don't think they would say it is, but like you can do an incline push-up, you can do a push-up mm. on the wall. A so it's, variation, it's yeah. more about finding, it should be more about finding what the appropriate starting point is for someone than disqualifying right. or qualifying movements. Oh, I like that and, distinction. And so, yeah, the, the functional movement screen is this systematic approach to doing that. And in a yoga class setting, the teacher is not, doesn't have their pencil and paper out mm -hmm. Um, rating people yeah, on a zero through three people, scale. No. Yeah. But it's but just it's, a similar it's a, overlapping. It's a similar paradigm of, mm -hmm. okay, I'm trying to see how well they move and mm -hmm. I'm going to use that information to potentially tell them to avoid or not avoid a pose. So that's why I thought it was helpful to talk about that at the mess, just because, yeah, it's not used, that specific test is not used in a yoga context, but just similar attitudes and approaches to these ideas of how movements yeah, it's, look. And... I, like in any time you're in a group setting, it's very difficult to mm -hmm. engage in any sort of screening. And, and maybe totally. you don't have to, because you can just, like I said, yeah, give everyone integrated. intervention or, or teach in a way that is gonna You're cater so right. to the the average person or, or the common denominator in the room um, with um graded options like teaching different yeah. options for people to if you can do this then maybe you can try this and you know just teaching people how to sense their own body and where they are so they can make their own empowered decisions about which variation of a pose to take might be the right fit for their body something like mm -hmm. that yeah. So I know we're kind of heading toward the end of our conversation here, but in, in just heading toward wrapping up, how could we, or how could you summarize for us how we might think about preventing injuries within a yoga context, kind of like taking everything that we've said into consideration. Mm -hmm. Are there like, are there some things we should, we should be thinking about? To, like, I think the, the big thing is to, avoid single factor thinking and instead <laughs> take a a more like kitchen sink approach uh mm -hmm. which is going to consist of doing but my bias is to do strength training uh, yeah, like mine too um engage in strength training and maybe maybe that amounts to a separate strength practice from your yoga practice um mm -hmm. another thing to think about is not going from zero to 60 like yeah. no yoga for just just starting yoga and going like Straight all out into... six days a week two hours a day mm -hmm. ashtanga practice <laughs> um but a more a more graded approach giving your body uh, time to adapt and and become familiar and yeah mm -hmm. and also giving yourself the opportunity so that's like a big picture giving yourself a time to recover in between yes. bouts. So if you're feeling particularly fatigued or sore, like check in with your body and maybe don't go do that vigorous practice again. Um, or if you're feeling an injury coming on, like mm -hmm. either get that checked out or maybe do something different until that resolves. Uh, we don't need to be like- um, Hyper. Yeah, we don't need to be hyper vigilant about it, but <laughs> within reason. And mm -hmm. then- making sure like off the mat, what are your stress levels factoring yeah. that in, in terms of, it's not just the physical stress, but also the, the psychological stress can increase risk yeah. of injury. So which yoga is great because maybe yoga can be helping with that mm -hmm. aspect. Helping um, us manage stress better. 
Yeah, um, which it, it, the research clearly shows that that how how we manage and respond to stressful situations is uh, plays a role in the occurrence of injury. Uh, and right. then, like you said, sleep factors into recovery, nutrition factors into recovery. Uh, and then also just like this, this is like the it, common sense, but like when you are practicing yoga, make sure that you're in a, uh, an open space with like plenty of room <laughs> so that you don't have any of those like catastrophic injuries yeah. or, or like, you know, <laughs> like th just things that, things that the... shouldn't happen. Yeah. Common sense, safety practices of yeah. like making sure that your mat is not going to slip. Like I, I, I was an idiot the other day. So I was taking a class in your online yoga library. You uh, were. My, my favorite one. Well, I, I this was uh, like a couple of weeks ago, but I, I was doing one. the, yeah, the, the whole body back bend flow, I think it's called. Right. That's and, so um, uh, so I, the mat that I was using was oh, no. not slippery. Yeah, it just wasn't oh. the, the the surface that I was on was no good. So I went into my wheel and like my hands came together a little bit, um, mm -hmm. and it was fine. I just I came right back down. Um, right, but you but could tell was... like that was a little risky. Yeah, yeah, body. yeah. No, it's so a good yeah. The that's, surface that's, that, that you're that goes back to the those environmental external. or external factors, but also like referring back to the experience that you had with that Ashtanga teacher, what's the, the context within which you're, you're practicing and what's the, the teacher's communication mm -hmm. style, um, teaching style. Yeah. And is that uh, a safe? Yeah. Are they, are they creating a safe environment for you yeah. to practice in? Or, or not. If there are physical adjustments and assists offered, if there are in your yoga class context, then are they being done in a way that, yeah. Yeah. It's... And it's not, it's not only the, the physical, but it's also the, how are they leading you through the class? There's that um, too, yeah. And, and also, are you feeling like a sense of competitiveness with other people in the mm -hmm. room to embody a pose right. or go deeper? Is there pressure on you either that, in, sort of... that you're internally putting on yourself or externally or um like beholden to something that you see on social media like oh i aspire to that when that's not realistic for you so those are like the there are, are many external things that can be affecting yeah. the way that we're practicing for sure that can increase or decrease injury risk and those are all really good points so it sounds to me like you're suggesting i love how you just your your answer right away was just avoid single factor thinking and so maybe that's kind of the, the main takeaway here is just to recognize and appreciate the, the true multifactorial nature of injuries and how many different things can go into and uh, contribute to an injury or not. And many of those factors we can control and change and some we can't and just, you know. Yeah. So you, you can't change that you are older and that yes. maybe that is a risk factor for injury. So that means that maybe you have to be even more mindful of managing the factors that you can control right or you can't change that in this in this moment you can't change the fact that you're say more relatively weak or more relatively strong like because you just have a certain strength level but you could realize i have the um the room to strengthen my body more and make myself more resilient and then proactively take on a, a strength training practice over time something like that seems like that would be very proactive for preventing injury
Yeah, we have a great uh, option for that. <laughs> which we do, exactly. Which we, which we'll link in the show notes. But yeah, our um, strength for yoga remote group training, and the book that we wrote, strength training for yoga. We have a book and an ongoing interactive remote group training program and platform that is specifically for yogis to learn how to strength train and bring more balance to their movement practice and support their yoga practice and just their the health and t- health of the their tissues and their body in general and the the yeah. other thing that i think is an interesting thing and then we can wrap up yeah. like strength training yes strength training done well with appropriate dosage and intensity does make you stronger but there are also sometimes interventions where strength training hasn't been like they didn't do it right and the, the people mm-hmm. didn't get stronger yet mm-hmm. there was still a preventive effect or a protective effect right. and so there right. there That's are so other true. things going on or or the goal was That's to so um modify somebody's mechanics and the mechanics didn't change but they still had fewer injuries so yeah. maybe there there's like the psychosocial aspect uh like increased self-efficacy or yes. increased confidence or, I, or I don't know what in your body right it's yeah. um yeah it seems a little but it's not it's not mysterious. just okay yeah you you did the strength training intervention you got stronger therefore you right. re- reduced your risk of injury um there are all these other benefits of strength training that somehow can also yeah translate yeah. into that it's so true it's easy to think about it as just like in our minds we picture our tissues got stronger that can be a part of it but strength training is as injury is multifactorial strength training has multi-factorial influence which, which isn't to say that you should strength train and not get stronger and <laughs> and that, yeah. that shouldn't be the goal the goal should be to strength train with sufficient intensity and volume to get stronger but it, it's weird and it seems like mm-hmm. that isn't always necessary to that's right have that effect that you want yeah the like bigger picture that strength training can actually these other effects it can have beyond maybe what we what we realize which makes it even so much more even more cool i think so yeah strength for yoga that's that's our thing and anyone who's interested in that they should um check it out yeah we'll have the link in the show notes so travis thank you so much for having this conversation with me today I think the topic of, of yoga injury prevention is is an important one, and it's one that a lot of people talk about out there. And I hope that we've I know that we have offered some good concrete tips and maybe some good ways of thinking about this topic that are like research and science based. Yeah, I I'm like trying to really emphasize to the world the the difference <laughs> between association and prediction so the the more opportunities that i have to explain that statistical nuance because it does matter when it comes to this stuff i i appreciate yes absolutely thank you for speaking to that uh in our conversation today yeah that's uh, a good topic that i've been wanting to get more clear about so thank you i think it's an important message so thanks travis thanks jenny And that wraps up our look at preventing yoga injuries. Remember to use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga program. And the link to that is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. And if you enjoyed this discussion, we would so appreciate your support if you had time to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon.